All right, I quickly, you're wondering where um, Pastor Joe is, and I want to read to you what he wrote to the praise team. He's taking, uh, he has stepped aside for a season, and I, I don't want to ever leave a mystery up here or anything. Um, you've been wondering, where is he? We didn't hide doing a great job, though. I, I appreciate all they're doing. Uh, but here's what he wrote to the team. My family and I need to take some time to deal with several life and ministry issues. Please understand that I love you all and care about you very much, Contact you, and I will contact you when the time comes. Until further notice, TPC leadership will designate somebody to lead the team. Again, I love and appreciate you all. Thanks, Joe. Key sentence, the first one, my family and I need to take some time to deal with several life and ministry issues. This is life, and I don't mean, I'm not being flippant about it, but a man of God is a man first, a woman of God is a woman first. Every minister has needs, and uh, every minister sometimes has to deal with things. And, you know, one of my favorite teachers is John Piper. And out of the blue, last year he announced he was going to step aside for like 10 months. There was no real problem. Uh, well, there, was, there were issues, but he just needed, he needed to breathe. So he did it. Now, uh, it's in God's hands. That's where it is in the meantime. Thank God we are loaded with talented people who can stand up. And you know what? The main character here is named Jesus. Amen. Amen? So <clears throat> he's the main character, and he's the main presence we're concerned about, and thank God for that. Don't, uh, you know, if somebody comes up and says blah, 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 and there's rumors or gossiping, just say, hey, I heard what he wrote. He has taken some time to be with his family and deal with some issues. Leave it there. Okay. So it's all good. God is good. Now I'm going to ask the two fine in the rock classes to stand up if y'all would. All righty. One's going this way. One's going this way. Give them a hand as they go. God bless you, fine in the rock. <clears throat> the rest of you, let's stand together and get ready to go through the book of Jude. I thought about playing the song, but I decided against it. This is such a powerful letter, a powerful word from God. Of course, all Scripture is given by God, given by inspiration of God, and is profitable. So we're going to read more of the Word of God. Jude is a perfect continuation from Second Peter. Uh, good job, Laura, on that up there. That looks great. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people working behind the scenes to make all this happen from week to week that we're so thankful for. Why don't we give them a hand, the, the unseen people? Amen. <clears throat> Couldn't do it without them. Now let's, uh, let's pray together, and I want to pray that God opens our heart and speaks to us tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you that the Holy Spirit is here as the great teacher of the church. And Lord, I'm asking you to open our understanding, open the eyes of our understanding. And renew our mind and establish us in the faith so that we are not blown about by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning craftiness of men. But we are solid, stable, rooted, unmovable, flourishing, reaching, and giving glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for a powerful church filled with powerful people. In Jesus' name. We breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. 
And in these next few weeks, open Jude to me in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, Jude, a postcard from the past. Let's, let's give you a little bit of introduction to the letter and how Jude ended up writing this. The epistle of Jude is the smallest book in the Bible, and it's evidently intended to be the entrance door to the book of Revelation. How many of you were not here when I went through Revelation? We're not here. Well, I'll do it again sometime, but this place was packed. Now, it's growing every week here anyway, but it was packed. And if you went through Revelation, then you can feel the same tenor, the same prophetic edge that we found in the book of Revelation. And its contents, that is the contents of Jude and its position in the New Testament, reinforce the idea that it's a prelude to the apocalypse, the apocalypse being the book of Revelation from the Greek word apocalypto. Or apocalypto. Now we see the believer standing on the brink of end times judgments. All about him in the book of Jude, the dark clouds gather. A storm of awesome magnitude is on the way, and church, it is. Surrounding him are signs of the end. But Jude points to only one such sign that was heavy on his heart, and that's apostasy. How often on Wednesday nights do we go into talking about apostasy? Why? Because the New Testament writers constantly wrote about it. They were always concerned about it. False teaching, false doctrine, erroneous doctrine that carries people away from Jesus Christ. They fought it and battled it all the time. And here we are again. Jude is a declaration of war against apostasy. Now, the apostasy that Jude was so concerned about is known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Gnosticism was taken from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. Now, I'll give you an example. When you put an A in front of a word, you make it negative, like atheist, atheist. Theist means believer in God. Atheist makes it a negative. You don't believe in God. Gnosis means knowledge. Agnosis or agnostic means no knowledge. So an agnostic is apparently saying, or supposedly saying, not sure if there's a God there or not. Don't have any knowledge that lets me know for sure. So the Gnostics, no A in front of it, they were making a doctrine or a, a major issue out of a certain kind of knowledge. Gnosticism promised salvation by knowledge, not grace, not faith, but by knowledge of secret spiritual truths. Anybody, anytime anybody tells you, hey, I've got an inside track on some stuff no one knows about, look for the exit door. And that's what they taught. Well, we, we've got a secret knowledge that if you get it and you understand it, this knowledge will save you. Now let me give you some examples of Gnostic belief. All material things were sinful and evil. All material things. In other words, all the creation of God was evil and sinful. Thus, Gnosticism classed the Creator God as evil because the Creator God who made material things had to be evil because He created evil. They believed matter was evil. So, 
Marriage was also prohibited as multiplying evil matter. The evil matter being chilling. Okay? Marriage just propagated the human race and flesh was considered evil. So these people would all the time go into asceticism. You know what asceticism is. It's when you punish your flesh to defeat sin. And punishing your flesh will never defeat sin. You've got to crucify your flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You can't punish your flesh and defeat sin. Uh, also, certain foods were deemed inherently evil, and eating them was a sin. So I don't like them right then and there, because I know on the eighth day God created chocolate, right? Okay. Theologically, Jehovah God was denounced as an alien and hostile deity. The, the tribal God of Israel is what they called him. The tribal God of war that Israel claved to. All right? This was the teaching of Gnosticism. Now, I'm skimming the surface. If you get into the depths of what they taught, it's just bizarre, really bizarre. But the most egregious of all, Gnosticism taught that God's Son could not have come in the flesh since flesh was evil. So this relegated Jesus to a phantasm, a spirit being that never truly materialized as a flesh and blood man. They taught no way that God sent His Son to become flesh because flesh is evil. So if you're telling me that Jesus Christ was in the flesh, then He was evil. He was not who you say He was. So they denounced the immaculate conception. Well, you can imagine what that did to the gospel, right? This wrecked the gospel and wreaked havoc on the church's belief that God became flesh via the immaculate conception that He might redeem us. That's the crux of what the church preaches. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. God wrapped Himself literally in skin. A virgin conceived. God was born. All God, all man. All man, all God. The God-man. Jesus was God walking around, talking to us, touching us, healing us, praying for us, and then ultimately dying for us. But they taught, no, that didn't happen because flesh is evil. So it, it just ran a huge number on the church's message and on the church's faith and the church's belief system. Gnosticism was deadly poison in New Testament Christianity. It served as an organized attack upon the Bible and on Christian theology. It was very deadly. But even so, crazy as it was, loony as the teaching was, it spread rapidly, and it was professed everywhere in the civilized world by the time the second century rolled around. Once a person embraced the heresy of Gnosticism, their doom was assured because Gnosticism could not, would not ever lead you to a saving knowledge of Christ. So if you embraced Gnosticism, you embraced hell. Understandably, Jude was alarmed at the scope, seriousness, and success of this apostasy in his day. He wrote his letter in hopes of stopping up some of the leaks in the dam. Hence, it is the error of Gnosticism that Jude has in his sights in his little one-chapter, one-page book. Not only Jude, but Paul also made a full frontal attack against Gnosticism in the book of Colossians. You, you read Colossians sometime? Uh, that, the whole thing was written by Paul to answer the error of Gnosticism that we just saw. 
the good news is that the church weathered that storm. It eventually defeated this doctrine, but it took a while. Okay? But Satan never gets tired. You do know that, right? He never gets tired. He's a relentless foe. He never stops trying. He never gives up. Every revival sent by God in the history of the church to awaken the church and stir a lost world has been countered by fresh apostasy. Happens every time. I could go into the apostasy that's floating around today. I can tell you it's no less diabolical, no less deadly. The, I, I believe that uh, political correctness is a deadly foe of the church. I believe secular humanism is a deadly foe of the church. I believe Darwinian evolution is and has been for a few centuries now a deadly foe of the church. Satan seems to attack every generation with a fresh, really effective, if you don't know your Bible, really effective heresy. Now, time and again in the long course of church history, as old lies and new clothing have appeared, God's people have turned to Jude's epistle. And that's why I want to teach you this. I want you to be wise in the Scriptures, wise in the Word of God. I have a burden on my heart. I don't have time to teach you everything. I wish I could teach you. That's why we're going to have a school. Now, answers to every conceivable issue can be found in this little one-chapter letter. For instance, verse 5, tares among the wheat. Verse 6, satanic invasion. Verse 7, sexual perversion. Verses 8 through 10, address social anarchy. Verse 11, spiritual distortion. Verse 11 again, Jewish persecution, anti-Semitism. Verse 11 again, rebellion against authority. Verses 12 to 13, strong delusion or deception. Verses 14 to 15, secular humanism. Verse 16, subversive criticism of spiritual authority. What Jude saw first flowering at the beginning of the church age, we now see the full development of at the end of the church age. What he saw starting, we see now in full bloom. If this little book was so needed then, how badly do we need it now? Well, we're going to find out in the next few weeks how badly we need it. And you're going to find out we need it. The New Testament epistles present warning after warning against apostasy, especially the apostasy of the last days. And Jesus talked about it. In the last days, many false Christs and false prophets shall arise. Well, what do false Christs and prophets do? They teach. Paul predicted, in the last days, men will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. Well, what does a demon teach? Apostasy, false teaching, delusion, deception, that leads people away from Christ Jesus. Jude's postcard from the past comes last, right before Revelations. It's God's final warning before the trumpet sounds. The true church vanishes skyward, and the curtain goes up on a world gone mad with lust, hatred, deception, and terror. And as I read that to you, don't we already see it? Let's talk about the plan. Here's the first verse right out of the chute. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now Jude, 
identifies himself as a brother of James. Let's look at some of Jude's history a little bit quickly. Most likely, Jude is the same man mentioned in the Gospels, and I give you the verses there, as one of the sons of Joseph and Mary. That would have made Jude one of Jesus' half-brothers, because they didn't have the same daddy. Come on, y'all. No, no. None of those boys had the daddy Jesus did. All right, now, thus he was a half-brother of the Lord Jesus. So he, he watched Jesus growing up. He watched Jesus never get in trouble. He watched Jesus always do good. John informs us that none of the Lord's half-brothers believed on him during the days of his early ministry. You remember in John 7, 5, when they came and found him and said, He's crazy! And they came inside and said, Jesus, your family's outside. And he said, who are my brothers and my sisters? But those who do the will of God. Have you noticed that in the kingdom, you're closer to the saints than even some of your own flesh and blood? Because there is such a tie in the spirit between the children of God and the saints of God. So Jesus said, my brothers and my sisters are the ones who do the will of God, not the ones out there. Not like these are. Now we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 that the Lord appeared to his half-brother James after his resurrection. Don't you know that was a fine hello? I saw you get crucified. Don't you know that was, that was an experience? I saw Jesus get crucified. I saw them bury him, and all of a sudden he's appearing to me. Wow. Thereafter, we find the Lord's brothers in fellowship with those who had been apostles and believers previously. So the, the Lord's brothers came to believe in him. They did not believe in him during his earthly ministry. They just didn't. More than likely, it was James who was instrumental in the conversion of Jude and the other family members. James called Old Camel Knees. He was, he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. James was. James led Jude, more than likely, to, to belief in Jesus. Jude describes himself. Now think for a minute. Let this grab you. He's describing his half-brother who he grew up with, knew all those years, as he describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Do you know how hard it is for a brother to say that? But he describes himself as a servant because he has now realized who it was growing up around him all those years. So this attests to what the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost had done to change all human relationships. Jude addressed the Lord as Jesus Christ and Him as His servant. Now when the name Jesus is used in the Gospels, you need to know this, when Jesus is used, it's referring to the man. The man. When Christ is used, it refers to the ministry. The man, Jesus. The minister, Christ. The anointed one. The chosen one. In verse 1, Jude emphasizes the man first. Why? He's stressing the humanity of Jesus, which the Gnostics denied. He's saying, yes, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, came in the flesh. You say he didn't, but I'm telling you he did. 
So in verse 1, he's immediately countering Gnostic heresy. Yes, he came in the flesh. He was not a phantasm. He was not a spirit being. He was a man. But he also points to the fact that he was the Christ, a truth that once again the Gnostics entertained heretical ideas about. They denied that as well. Next, Jude underlines three truths about our salvation. Now, what he's going to do, he knows that Gnosticism is eating its way into the church, attacking the deity of Christ, the work of Christ, the person of Christ. I've told you, any teaching that marginalizes the work of Christ, the person of Christ, the calling of Christ, the sacrificial death and resurrection of Christ is a cult. It is not to be listened to. And any cult, name it, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, they always present another gospel and another Christ. It's never the one we find in the Bible. So Jude, now that he said, hey, he came in the flesh as Jesus, he was a man, but he was Christ, he was the anointed one, the Messiah, and now he's going to take his readers and he's, he, he's going to establish them in the faith. So he gives us three truths about our salvation. Here they're in verse 1. To those who are, read it with me, called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Here's three truths that Jesus did for you and me. Sanctified us, He secured us, and He selected us. Say with me, I'm sanctified. I'm secured. I'm selected. Isn't that good? Now let's talk about them. Sanctified sanctified by God the Father. God the Father has sanctified you and me. And the work of sanctification goes on till the end. Paul closed out one of his writings and said, may, may the God, may my God sanctify you holy body, soul, and spirit. He wants your body sanctified, your soul sanctified, your spirit sanctified. Sanctification means that we are set apart for God. It means we've been made holy. We're being made like God. It tells us that as believers, we are to be separated from evil ways. The minute the Holy Spirit came to live in your life, think back, immediately He began to deal with sin in your life, didn't He? Immediately. And began to deal with you about things that uh, you knew, hey, I, need to, I really need to pull away from this and no longer do that and no longer associate with that, and I need to come apart. For what? Come apart to God. If you don't come apart to God, you will come apart. You've got to come apart to God. Sanctification means I'm no longer living for myself, but I'm living for God, body, soul, and spirit. So he said, he has sanctified you, and he is ongoingly, every single day, sanctifying you. That's why others may, but you cannot. That's why when they head off to the bar after work, you say, you know, I just, uh, no thanks. That's why when the world calls to you, something inside of you says, don't go. It's the Holy Spirit sanctifying you. You've been set apart. He said he didn't stop there, though. Jesus secured you. Preserved in Jesus Christ, Jude said, preserved and secured are the same thing. Secured refers to Jesus watching over us. I want you to know He watches over you 24-7. That's what secured or preserved means. 
Jesus watches over you. It refers to Him taking care of you, keeping an eye on you, being aware of everything that concerns you. He knows about your bills. He knows about your health. He knows about your marriage. He knows about your singleness. He knows about your temptations. He knows about your stresses. He knows about your struggles. He knows about it all because He's watching over you, secured. In His high priestly prayer, Jesus said to the Father, quote, while I was with them in the world, I kept. Now the Greek word there is tereo, tereo, and I put it there in italics so you can sign it out. I know you're going to go out and do that, but I put it there anyway. But it's tereo. I kept, I kept them in your name. Now he's testifying to God his final work with the disciples on earth. He said, I kept them. Well, what does tereo mean? He said, those that you gave me, I'm going to tell you in just a second, but the verse goes on. Those that you gave me, I have kept. But now there's a, a second Greek word. It's not the same one. It is phulaso, and none of them is lost. So he said, I tereo and I phulaso. Why did he use two different words for keep? Because he so profoundly keeps us. He wanted us to get the full import of it. So let me tell you what they mean. The first Greek word, tereo, means to watch over, to take care of, to keep an eye on, to observe attentively. Like you do a little kid that's playing around near a pool. You don't take your eyes off them. That was how the Lord preserved his disciples. He said, he said while I've been with them in the world, I have watched over them, taken care of them, kept an eye on them observe them attentively but he didn't stop there then he went to the second greek word phulaso <clears throat> and that means to be sleepless to watch by night to guard and to defend i want you to catch how much god loves you this is why the language matters because <clears throat> if you're reading it in just an english bible uh, you see kept twice, and you don't know that it, it, they're translated from two different Greek words to give you a fuller understanding of what Jesus had really done for the, his own disciples and for us as his future disciples. So David spoke of the philoso kind of keeping uh, when he wrote in the Psalms about God, quote, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Same meaning as philoso. God's got divine insomnia. You can go to sleep because he won't. He's got you on his mind 24-7 and you are under his care and he doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't miss a thing. Jude wants us to know this. So we are preserved or kept in Jesus Christ. Now the idea of being in Christ, we are kept in Christ. I'm going to give you some theology tonight. The idea of being in Christ, in Christ, is one of the greatest theological concepts in the whole New Testament. In Christ. Can you say it with me? In Christ. You're not near Christ. You're not around Christ. You're, you're not kind of close. You're in Christ. Now watch this. We're told that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And Paul told us that there is no condemnation to those that are around Christ, near Christ. No. In Christ. Talk to me, church. In Christ. In Christ is so powerful 
This points to one of the monumental differences between the Old and New Testaments. You want to know the difference between the two? Here's one of them. In the Old Testament, to be where God could bless, one had to be in the land. In the New Testament, we have to be in the Lord. In the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. In the New Testament, everything has to do with a person. In the Old Testament, one had to be in Canaan. In the New Testament, we have to be in Christ. The New Testament was all about a person. Old Testament was all about a place. In Christ, we are sanctified and we are secured. But thirdly, he says, we've been selected. Jude wants the church to know this, that is under the attack of apostasy. He says, you're called, says Jude. You're called. You are selected. You are called. Now, I want to be clear here. God's call, first of all, is for everyone. God does not decide that somebody's going to be saved and somebody's going to be lost. No way. No way. Now, that's, that's, that's hardcore Calvinism. And that is not what I believe the Bible teaches. Um, it is universal. God's call is to everybody. It's, univer- it's a universal call. Paul told the men at Athens when he was sh- sharing Jesus with them that God now commands how many men? All men. Where? Everywhere to repent. Well, if only a few have been called to be saved, what's with the everywhere and what's with the all? Okay? John 3.16 declares that God so loved part of the world. I'm sorry. Some of the world? I can't read that right. What does it say? The world. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, that means anybody, whoever believes on Him would not perish. And if I didn't believe that, I couldn't preach again. How can you preach believing that some have been called to be damned and some called to be saved? No way. Everybody is given a chance in their conscience by hearing the gospel some way, somewhere, somehow. God's Spirit deals at some point. I believe this in the life of every human being. This promise of salvation becomes personal when we accept it. Once we do, then we step into what Paul calls three kinds of calling. Say it with me. A high calling, a holy calling, and a heavenly calling. That sounds good to me. He says, he says you're called, first of all, with a universal call. Whosoever will, let him come. But once you come, then you have stepped into some real blessing. It's a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a holy calling to be sanctified, set apart for Him. And it's a heavenly calling. You are heaven-bound, signed, sealed, and delivered, and headed to heaven, and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now next, Jude speaks a blessing on them. And I love this blessing. Let's just say it together. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Not just, I don't, I, I don't want you to get just a little smattering. I'm not asking God to give you a little smattering of mercy, peace, and love. But I want it multiplied, squared to you. Now, a good, easy way to remember these three words, mercy, peace, and love. Mercy is the upward look. I'm looking for mercy. Anybody looking for mercy tonight? Mercy is the upward look. Peace is the inward look. Aren't you thankful for peace? 
I tell you, I've got to have peace with God. If I don't have peace with God, I pray till I get it. He's given us peace. And then love is the outward look. See, if you're getting mercy from above, the upward look, and you've got peace in the inward look from God, the natural consequence is you're going to reach out in love with an outward look. Mercy, says Jude, peace and love. Now since Jude's epistle was really a declaration of war against heresy, he knew full well there were going to be a clash of opinions because look, y'all, it had already wormed its way into the church he's writing to. There were already people that had believed Gnosticism. They were being shaken in their faith. Paul wrote in Ephesians and he said, I'm, I'm praying that you're no longer children tossed to and fro by what? Every wind of doctrine that comes by the cunning craftiness of men. But that you stand solid no, no matter what false teachings knock on your door. Amen? So, he knew that sharing this epistle, it was going to be taken to churches that had already begun to assimilate this Gnosticism. So, he's anticipating something. There was going to be a clash of opinions, a struggle of right against wrong, truth against error, goodness against evil. He knew the decisions were going to have to be made as to whether one would stay with the truth or not. He knew that this letter was going to cause some trouble. There would be sleepless nights for some people when they heard this letter. Families would be divided. Well, I believe the Gnostics. Well, I don't believe the Gnostics. I think it's heresy. I don't think it's heresy. I think it's error. Well, I think it's truth. Hard feelings were going to be generated. He knew it. Lies were going to be told. Accusations were going to be made. Tempers were going to be inflamed. Tears were going to be shed. Jude knew that casualties were going to occur. Casualties in the church were going to occur in the coming battle of truth facing error off. And it happens every time. The local church, let me tell you about the local church. It's intended by God to be a place of blessing, strength, fellowship, spiritual growth, salvation. So don't you know Satan's going to attack the local church when that's what God wants it to be? Blessing, strength, fellowship, growth, and salvation. Then you know Satan's going to put it in his crosshairs. Always has, always will. But let me tell you the truth about church. It can also be a place that endures vicious attack from within its own ranks. Don't be surprised, Peter wrote, about the fiery trials that are going to try you. As though some strange thing were happening. There are certain things that happen in the local church that ought not surprise you anymore. You ought to be able to flow with it. Ride the waves. Not be surprised and shocked. For instance, we know from Scripture that the church can be a place of divided loyalties. Paul wrote, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, he's my man, and another well, I'm of Apollos. He's more anointed. Are you not carnal in having divided loyalties between men? Aren't you carnal? Because where's our main loyalty to be? Right up there. Uh, and the church can be a place of heated differences. 
One person, Paul writes, one person believes he may eat anything. Spam, bacon, <laughs> eggs all the time, cholesterol, Big Macs. <laughs> Just trying to keep it real here. There's things... Ron Cottenham eats Spam all the time. I say, spam, I say Ron's going to kill you. Oh, I love that Spam. Fried Spam, baked Spam, microwave Spam. I say, okay. But I'm not going to have a heated difference with him about it. If he wants to go home early, let him go. <laughs> but he says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. But my point is, there can be heated differences in the church the church can be a place of bitter disputes hello you know how many people are not in church all over this city who got offended in a church when there was a bitter dispute or a heated difference or a divided loyalty and they're offended and now they won't go back to church they've chalked it up as something they'll never do again and that's so unfortunate because we've got to have each other You've got to grow past it. You've got to get past it. You can't let these offenses keep you out of the will of God for your life. Can't do it. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, when one of you has a grievance against another, he said, does he dare go to law? He's talking about suing each other. Before the unrighteous instead of the saints? He said, don't you have a righteous man among you who can judge? But my point is, the disputes can become so bitter, it becomes lawsuit time. You know how many people are out of church because they were involved in lawsuits in a local church setting? And the church can become a literal war zone. Look what James wrote. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Who's he writing to? The lost world? No. He's writing to the brethren. Wars. Fights. Where are they coming from, James asks. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members was things you want and you can't get them and so you're filled with envy and you're filled with with competition and you're filled with flesh and so you're fighting each other warring against each other but it gets worse he says you lust and do not have you murder in the church you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and you war look at those look at those uh, verbs and adjectives you murder and covet you fight you war you envy all in the church this can be the local church the local church can be a war zone everybody and when that happens that's when the mature rise to the top and say wait a minute peter said don't be surprised by these things what can we do let's handle this like mature adults not being tossed to and fro but one of the things that does all of this is false teaching gets in the church and then you got people going well that's not right and then you got other people going well i think it's right what's wrong with it show me where it's wrong you have bible disputes word disputes theology disputes before you know it the church is a war zone jude was anticipating trouble from this letter he's writing jude knew the church could also become a place where deception takes root and threatens to spread. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Look at that. The Galatian church had become bewitched, fallen under the spell of false teaching. How dangerous is it 
How powerful is it? How potent is it? That's why we need to know our Bibles, church. The more you know your Bible, the less false teaching will ever find a place in your life. Paul says, never, but because we yet dwell in houses of flesh, is this the will of God ever? It's never the will of God. These things are never the will of God. But because we yet dwell in houses of flesh and can easily slip from walking in the Spirit to reacting in the flesh in one minute in rush hour traffic, you can leave church full of the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit, full of the love of God, and person cuts in front of you. Have you noticed how fast you can switch gears? These unfortunate things happen in the local church from time to time. Now, not everybody who sided with the apostates were necessarily apostates themselves. Some of them would be genuinely deceived. Jude knew that. Others would be sincerely confused. And still others would get snared and carried away because of their family, friendship, connections. I can't tell you how often I've seen people get pulled into false doctrine, false teaching, or a false cause because of their relationships, their friendships. I've seen families be sucked into cults one at a time until the whole kit and caboodle of them were in there. Terribly deceived, walking away from Christ, teaching heresy. And how were they open to it? Because mom or dad or brother or sister or friend or loved one got into it. And because there was an emotional connection, they were able to pull them in to an offense, to a false teaching. They were able to pull them in. That's why you've got to come to a place where your loyalty to Christ is above what it is for any person, including your spouse, your friends, your loved ones. Because when it comes to a decision between right and wrong, doing what is scriptural or not, you can't side with wrong because of emotional connection. You've got to say, my ultimate emotional connection is above in Jesus. I'm going to stand for the truth. And you tell those around you, I can't go with that. Can't pick up your offense or I can't pick up your false teaching. I can't pick it up because my allegiance is to Christ and I'm not going there. Is that clear? That is clear, isn't it? Jude anticipated all of these possibilities as he went for the jugular of the Gnostic heresy worming its way into the church. What would be needed in bucketfuls were mercy, peace, and love. So Jude blesses them with this blessing, and the next time we're together, the battle commences, and it is a battle. Can we stand together? How many of you needed this tonight? Isn't this good? You know, I was closing out that last part. I was thinking of when the Lord Jesus said, in the last days, brother would turn against sister, mother against son, father against daughter, in-laws against in-laws. And that's why he said, if you don't love me more than any other person on earth, you're going to be taken in. I want us to pray tonight that our ultimate allegiance, because I think we're going to need it in the days to come, church. We are. Our ultimate allegiance is to Christ Jesus, the Lord. His word, his will.
Let's do it. Father, we thank you right now that we see Jude telling us you're going to have to stand with the truth. No matter who it hurts, there's times you've got to stand for the truth. Now, Lord, we're asking you to give us that kind of allegiance and faith and backbone. For, Lord, we know that as we stand with the truth, though it may cause repercussions, it often is the very cause of the deliverance of those around us when they see somebody standing for what is right and for the truth. So, Lord, we ask you, as we see this world being covered with darkness and satanic attacks on every side against your church and apostasy trying to get in, Help us here tonight and those listening by radio to make a commitment to the word of truth. Now I want you to take a minute as we get ready to close out. I want you to think, am I being pulled on in any direction? In an emotional connection or some kind of a loyalty that would pull me from the truth? Is there a false teaching trying to get into my life and people who I love are some of the instruments trying to pull me in? If that's the case, I want you to take a minute and just say, not me. I am bound to the truth. Take a minute and pray. Thank you, Lord.